G'day and welcome to the Beyond the Message podcast bonus episode. We've been talking about it for a while, but we're finally here at the bonus episode of the Problem of Jesus series. My name is Lockie. I'm the host of this experience, and really my job is to help guide those 167 hours beyond Sunday or beyond the message that you can grow your faith all throughout the week. Now, this bonus episode is a little bit longer than the rest of our Beyond the Message podcast series, but that's because you had so many great questions. So today we tackle five questions that came through our website and we attempt to answer them. So I sit down with Chris and Riley of Beyond Church and we really try and give answers to the questions that our people are asking. So I really hope you enjoy this bonus episode and make sure to stay tuned for number two coming next week. Enjoy. Well, the long-awaited bonus episode is here. Fellas, how are we doing today? Chris, Riley, what's going on? Um, just I've just finished my Aussie afternoon tea lock and I'm ready for a well-anticipated <laughs> uh, potty. A well-anticipated podcast. Have we ever tea? called them potties? <laughs> I call Chris Potty. So that's where this gets confusing. Uh, potty, is uh, Chris Podley. A lot of people do call me Potty. Do you, I've actually never called you Potty. I, yeah. I've also never referred to you as Potty, but I feel I might start now. I think when I was in high school, people called me Potty, but then it's, it's like, is it Potty or Potty? Some people. Uh, the classic, classic stitch up. Uh, yeah, there you go. But Aussie Afternoon. Aussie Afternoon. Great mm. choice. And she used by Kevin Rudd too, apparently. Don't know if he you created fun fact. Was it similar to like a, a Smith's chip? Um, like, you know where they create what? new flavors and you can kind of like put in your flavor? I, I'm just not even watched it. Submit. I'm sure you've watched seven. Yeah, right. Yeah, anyway. Well, that's well, a fun this one is, for the bonus this episode. This is the great thing about a three-person podcast is that we can keep talking, Chris, <laughs> and Riley can research when Kevin Rudd introduced the Aussie Afternoon. Kevin Rudd. But before, before we get to that, here's, here's just a, a question I have, and it's controversial seeing as we're talking about iconic Australian brands. What do you guys feel? How do you guys feel about the shapes Vegemite? Um, hilarious. I was watching a child eat the Vegemite shapes the other day, as in a family member, yeah, not just yeah. watching a child. <laughs> so you're just um, in the park staring at <laughs> this kid. But the shapes Vegemite give children the same, like, Vegemite stains on their lips and their, like, their mouth. Oh, no like, So it's Why? so authentic. I looked at that and I was like, that is authentic. Like, if you yeah, can right. replicate the whole, like, Vegemite, uh, you know, spread around your face with a biscuit, then I like it. I've I never tried no it, idea. but I like it. I had no idea. There you go. That's a good play. Um, I don't like... Oh, no, nah, Riley, you can't say that in front of I don't like them either. It's controversial. No, I was going to say, I don't really like Vegemite, but I, I really oh. love the shapes, yeah. I don't know oh. why. So you... Okay. I like... So I grew up in one of those households where like Vegemite was always there, but it was never really touched. It was never really used. Peanut butter, banger, every time. Yeah, Vegemite, really. not really. Yeah. Um, I can get around the Vegemite shapes for some reason and I don't even know. I'm the opposite. Love a good bit of Vegemite. Tried the Vegemite shapes for the first time yesterday. Not a fan. Not a fan. Just, I don't know. just didn't hit the spot for me. I felt like I was left wanting more. There you go. Wow. What a good place to transition <laughs> from. We could talk about <laughs> that for hours. episode. I know. We're in the Problem of Jesus series. Riley, you and I wrapped up part four, but we have said there's a bonus episode coming. And I know both of you has, have... Um, given everyone the opportunity at Beyond at Home and our 10 a.m. at 6 p.m. to get their phones out and ask questions. And drum roll, please. I don't, I don't know if this is... Oh, that's great. We don't have a drum kit in the um, studio. Budget cuts. <laughs> <laughs> we have questions. Book. That's the, uh, that's that's the a, big job. We've got questions. We've got great win. questions. Yeah. Um, we have got enough questions to, to have two bonus podcasts, which is just so exciting. So we're going to get into those. 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked. Riley, the first one is actually coming your way. <laughs> these, these questions have just been uh, presented and I've kind of gone, oh, I reckon, you know, CP or Potty would be better yeah. at that one. This one's, you know, oh, I could suit RB or I might even have a crack at answering this one myself. But you have been called out by a listener. <laughs> called out? Friend, yeah. of the, friend of the podcast. I'm not sure. There could be a distinct <laughs> enemy. <laughs> I don't think we have any enemies. No, we don't have any enemies of the podcast. All right, Riley, this first question is coming to you. In part four of the problem of Jesus on the Beyond the Message podcast, Riley mentions that he hasn't yet told Kylie that he changed hairdressers. But back in episode 13, Riley claimed that his hairdresser's name was Leslie. Who is Riley's real hairdresser? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Well, this is... This does feel very personal. (laughs) I think I might even know who sent this through. Okay, I... Back in episode... Who's tracing these with such evidence? (laughs) Right, well, holding back just... My yeah, just raw emotions here, Locke. Yeah, okay. I I did. I I actually got. I have a main hairdresser, Leslie. Leslie has been my hairdresser um, for a long time since I was fifteen, and she's fantastic. And yes, I also have. There is a Kylie as well. I have very influential people in my life, um, and and Kylie, <laughs> Kylie as well. Um, is is also one of them. She's a hairdresser at the same place, and I did get them confused in episode thirteen. So yes, thank you, friend of the show, uh, for clarifying. <laughs> can my we hairdresser? Can is we just Leslie. confirm that while budget cuts have hit the podcast, budget cuts have not hit RB's hairstyling. No, he has a primary and a backup. Expenses <laughs> <laughs> pouring oh. into wow. my haircut. Well, wow. I'm so glad that that problem has now been addressed. I only hope that that answer gives clarity and peace <laughs> and is life-giving to, well, that's to those who are interested. Wonderful. Thank you. I have got the next one for you, Riley, actually. Um, to give you a nice question to get this real bonus episode, the first question, getting started. Um, a listener wants to know, if Jesus wants us to share our faith, why is the story so hard to believe and so hard for followers to share or explain? So, Riley, that's what I'm asking you today. A nice okay. big one to get us going. A nice big one. Um, great question. And even looking at the first part of the question, I think uh, the, yeah, the first thing I kind of look at is like, why is the story so hard to believe? And uh, I think two things kind of come to mind here where you could break this down with kind of two main challenges. Um, and when you think of like the story of the Christian faith, like one of the things that that comes to mind for me that makes it so hard to believe is that it is so countercultural more so it it contains a message uh, which is countercultural to our world and you know what even looking at the story of Jesus the story of Jesus was just as countercultural in the times of Jesus as it is today Um, we look at Jesus's kind of cultural context um, there's a lot of pagan worldviews going on at the time that centered uh, around religions either pointing to multiple gods or even to one god uh, who, who would win them wars or um, who would, you know, would, would do something, make life better if offerings were kind of made. Um, at the same time, people were really looking for a warrior. And I think Chris really touched upon this in, in part one of the problem of Jesus too, um, that, uh, you know, the, the person of who Jesus was and who he claimed to be, he was, he was pointing back to himself as, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Um, you know, to, to get to God when he was talking about salvation, like he's, he's pointing to himself um, and he's really saying, like, I'm offering eternity and a life of peace. But also, when we look at Jesus, like, Jesus wasn't this perfect kind of Disney uh, hero. Uh, he's no Elsa. In any way. He's no Elsa. 
he's known Frozen. He's, yeah, known Moana um, here. Very different. Um, but he wasn't kind of the warrior that, that people of that time would have been looking for as well. And even if we look at the Christmas story, like this thing we celebrate every year in over 2,500 languages, um, we look at this idea that like when Jesus, like this greatness kind of came into the world, he was born in a stable and was laid in a feeding trough. And he walked around from town to town without a home, uh, without a place to stay at times. And he made headlines for his message and miracles, but at the same time, he made a lot of enemies too. Um, and he called lowly fishermen and you know, people that you'd just be the last people you'd ever think would be qualified to share a message of hope uh, to the world. So uh, I think this message contains someone who's known as the King of Kings. We, we sing these songs again around Christmas time, um, but he also kind of humbled himself to the point of death and this shameful death to this painful kind of death. Uh, so it's not a great hero's story to kind of win people over with. So, I mean, in part three, Chris talks about miracles and some people really can't handle, like, can't grasp the fact that fact that miracles happen and they're like nah but you what i hear you saying is that faith like it's whole the the central bit of faith is actually so hard to believe it's so countercultural about jesus coming in the way he did and dying the way that he he did yep. that's actually so hard to believe let alone the miracles and things like that yeah and, and again like countercultural in his time too like we even had king herod you look at the christmas story king herod like he, he was he couldn't be sitting on the fence about the fact that this guy named jesus could possibly be like the fulfillment of this prophecy so he wanted to stay on the throne um jesus didn't just come in and like kick herod off the throne either and i think again this is a challenging thing uh, about this message and why it's so hard to believe but also so hard um, to share is like well, Jesus isn't walking around physically today like he was back then um, but at the same time his heart for us is to come to him he doesn't move he doesn't force us into this relationship by writing himself into the story like right now today but he is still uh, living and when we look at this message being super countercultural like happiness in the world today is so often, you know, we point to things in the world that gives us happiness and gives us peace. Uh, we point to things that give us, um, you know, peace, wealth, security, uh, a perfect or at least great career, family life. Jesus is saying in all um, of these things you'll actually find in me. And I think that's one of the challenges. And then the other challenge, we kind of touched upon it, is Jesus' claim of truth, that it's exclusive. And we talked about this in part four. Jesus was the only leader who claimed to be the one eternal God in human flesh. Um, and this is really unique to the Christian story and it's challenging because it seems so offensive and doesn't leave us with kind of blind faith um, or it can feel like it leans us, leaves us kind of with this blind faith. Again, Jesus isn't physically walking around uh, with us today, um, but we got this kind of claim of truth from Jesus that's saying like it's through his death and resurrection, this miracle event um, that we have access to God. And this is how the movement, the Jesus movement started, it started through an event um, that created the movement and that provided us with the Bible. And when we asked this question, why is it so hard for followers to share and explain? Like, granted, there are some very big confusing concepts in the Christian worldview. Um, exclusivity being one of them, miracles being one of them, you know, following Jesus being one of them and the historical Jesus too. Like, um, there's some confusing concepts in the Christian worldview, but at the same time, there are some confusing concepts to consider about our world without a worldview if i think if we're apathetic and engaging with the worldview we're really missing out um because so we got to go I, I think yeah we just in thinking about these big four questions of kind of like origin purpose meaning and destiny like how do you respond to those questions in your own uh, life and i think it can be you know most challenging particularly when it comes to sharing our faith when we put an expectation on ourselves that we have to get some type of outcome um from that or some kind of 
outcome for ourselves when we share or see some uh, some sort of outcome uh, in others too. Um, but at the same time, like Jesus invited us to actually share this message and and share His love, and at the same time, like God sent us the Holy Spirit too, like a person, advocate, a comforter to help grow us and guide us uh, in our life here on earth, and and as we share, um, and as we share, it's not condemning people to hell. That's that's not our role. Um, yeah, don't do that. This big emphasis on sharing who Jesus is by grace and humility. That even when it comes to this problem of exclusivity, like we're sharing of who Jesus is by grace and humility. Uh, so I think the question that we can ask ourselves, even in this question of why is it so hard for me to share and explain, um, the big question that I've had to ask myself is like, well, why is it so hard to talk about the most important person in my life? Mm. Um, if Jesus is the you know the center of my faith, the center of my life, and we talk about following Jesus, like deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. There's times when I'm really challenged in sharing. Why is it so hard to talk about the most important person in my life? Because is it discomfort? Is it just inconvenience? Is there things that I'm unsure about? If so, what are some next steps for you uh, to consider? But I think a great starting point, yeah, is, is just that question. Or that's the question I've had to ask myself in the times when it seems really challenging. Yeah, a nice big one to get started, Riley. Thanks for <laughs> answering that. I, I want to pause and just say that if you've put these questions in, um, I hope we, we answer them well for you, but we're always available to kind of continue to clarify them. So uh, the best way is to just jump into our DMs on Instagram, anything like that, and, and uh, we can then further engage or hit us up on a Sunday if you see us in person or if you're tuning in online, um, yeah, message in that way. We would love to continue to clarify these if we don't quite get to the exact answer that you were hoping for. Um, but well put, Riley, with, the, with those uh, first two questions, really. Um, Chris, this next one's coming your way. Okay. Um, this is referring to part three okay. of Miracles. Mm. Sure. Um, I've got that right, don't I? I yeah, you know, you nailed it. Great, great message. I know I left thinking I've just had a lesson in philosophy, <laughs> um, which I've never had before. It was great. And uh, this is, I'm assuming, coming from the point where you said, pull out your phone, ask a question, because the wonderful listener asks, if Jesus or God can perform miracles, mm. why does he do so sparingly in a world that has suffering and needs miracles. Yeah. It's like the first question. In fact, all these questions, these all these questions are great. I love these kinds of conversations. I have a feeling that no one actually answered it during the service, that these people have gone home and like journaled for four hours and then crafted these perfect questions to go and answer because these are like... They're well-asked questions. Yeah. yeah. For, now, I could be wrong. I'm going to make an assumption about this question. Um, so if I am wrong, again, like Lockie said, please reach out. But really... I think this question is kind of the the question of what is why, why doesn't God do something about all the evil and suffering in the world? You know, like God could perform miracles, like we talked about. God could do something about all the evil and suffering that we see in the world. So why doesn't He? And like, there is so much written about this stuff. There is so much written about this stuff. So what I want to do in just I want to provide, I guess, a doorway to answering this question. I think is probably the best way to put it. And um, that we'll link to some resources in the show notes to kind of go over this in in a little more detail. We kind of had a segment called Conversations Over Coffee um, a while ago, um, that and we kind of talked about this. We spent three episodes talking about this. So those resources there, but but really the um, the doorway I want to open to is that there's actually two ways to kind of answer this question. One is the philosophical problem, and one is the pastoral problem. Um, so. 
I'm going to say just because I don't know this person's story, I don't know why they could be asking this. I'm going to I'm going to answer it from the philosophical approach because the pastoral approach is is much more one on one. Um, but I think from the philosophical approach, one way that we could start thinking about it is to kind of ask the question: um, Well, where would God begin? eliminating all the evil and suffering in the world. Because often when we ask this question, it's kind of like we like to point out there and be like... God would get rid of mosquitoes first. That's just my... Uh... <laughs> Mozzies first? Yeah. Mozzies oh, first. Wow. I... Yep. Imagine that around the Griffin area, just oh, outside the doors of Beyond. It'd be huge. It would be big. It'd it's be so big. much nicer when we film outside too. It would be. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the pain. Anyway. <laughs> But, but I think like often when we, you know, when people ask this question, they're always pointing to something like, why doesn't God do something about that? But really any evil and suffering in the world, like we have to acknowledge that at some level, we, we inflict evil and suffering into the world in, in other people. Now it might not be to the levels that we see, but we definitely like do things when we like say harsh words about people or when we say things that we, we regret about someone when they're not in the room and they don't have a chance to defend themselves. And so, so my question is like, well, what if God started addressing evil on the most minute level in the world first before he wow. worked his way up to the big things first? Um, would that mean that he would eradicate me and stop me? And and I would have to say yes, because I do things that are, that inflict evil and that, are, that and cause people to suffer. And if God was to start with the smallest evils in the world, I think one of the first places he'd have to start is with me. Um, so I think that's kind of, is helpful to think about like, well, how much evil and how much suffering do you want to get eradicated? Because mm. if you want everything eradicated, then we have to um, be responsible for that. The other thing to consider, I guess, is that God's primary purpose is now happiness. God's primary purpose is actually the advancement of his kingdom. And I think that can kind of cause us to ask the question, you know, naturally, well, I wonder what God's like if he allows all this evil and suffering. Uh, but the fact that we know, or the, the thing that we know about God is that God's actually given us freedom. The fact that we have evil and suffering in, in the world is an abuse of freedom. Right? The only way that God could eradicate evil and suffering from the world is to eliminate free will. And mm. so then you've kind of left with this logical like contradiction, like that you have free agents that do exactly as you want them to do. Mm. Well, you can't have someone who has free will that does exactly what you want them to do because that's a logical contradiction. Mm. Um, so we can either have free will or we can live without evil and suffering in the world, but we can't, we can't have both. And so I think that God does give us the gift of freedom, but I think that we, we abuse that. So I hope that, you know, I know I can't possibly answer that question in depth, but I hope that's like provided that, that listener with a doorway into beginning to delve and wade into that philosophical um, question. Definitely. And we'll uh, link those videos. That's you speaking on it as well, is it? Yeah, Three it parts. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the uh, philosophical master himself. It's not master. I like it. <laughs> kind, of, kind of is though. Anyway, that's Philosophical right. potty. potty. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. Well, again, a, a big question, but um, well, well answered. Uh, Riley, flicking back to you. Uh, we got a, a question about communion, which is great. Oh, and, yes, uh, the red wines. The red wines. Let me speak my language. What's the... I know nothing about reds. Oh, okay. I don't. I'm, don't know if there's people out there who. Sorry, I realise the question is going to be about communion. For friends of the show who are listening, communion does involve wine. Yes, this is why mm. I'm talking about wine. It's great. I that's, just, why, that's why you should come to church. Just want to clarify. 
Swimming clarify, I don't know too much about wine. Good. I've, I've never spent more than $9 on a bottle. Oh, maybe, you're missing out. Maybe I hit the $12 range once. I've drunk. Rosés? Anyone? Rosé. Anyone for a rosé? That's actually genuinely, there's a rosé out there called Pink Flamingo. It's fantastic. Kylie Minogue also put out a rosé. I haven't tasted it, but that's wow. a thing too. That's I'm, good. What am I doing? Problems. We're, yeah, problems we're going to talk about communion. Podcast. Come on. Yep. Uh, it's, it's also talking about miracles because this listener wants to know, is communion a miracle? When we eat and drink Jesus' body and blood, is this a miracle transformation from wine and bread to body and blood? Great. Really good question. Um, Again, and I think I'd start with, I think it's a miracle that we have communion in the sense of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Um, And when we look at communion, the actual event of communion takes place um, in that last supper, so the night before Jesus went to the cross, when he sat with his 12 disciples and he knew one of them was actually going to betray him, um, he takes some bread and he breaks it and he says, take and eat this, this is my body. Um, and he takes a cup of red wine. We don't know if it's uh, Pinot Noir, Cab Sav, Shiraz, um, Shiraz Tempranillo. Tempranillo. <laughs> we like, don't know. We don't know what year it is. $7 bottle. We don't know if it's from the Barossa. We don't know if it's... But, He's taken, he's taken um, the red wine and he says, take and drink this. Uh, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And really what Jesus is pointing to um, is the event that's about to take place, his death and resurrection. And um, when, when we look at um, communion, or more so when we look at uh, even this idea of sacraments, and sacraments I know is a funny word because it, you know, it's a very church word too, but a sacrament is really an action Uh, that's made holy or special because of its believed ability to demonstrate uh, a religious truth or a truth about God. Um, And, you know, different kind of sacraments within different churches um, sometimes have different meanings. So there is an an interpretation um, that of a denomination, the Roman Catholics believe that the bread and wine that is offered is the actual body and blood of Christ and another form of sacrifice. As in it physically turns into it. Well, Chris, you can jump in here if you'd like. I think it's called transubstantiation. <clears throat> transubstantiation. That's the word. That's Lots the of word. Transubstantiation. So imagine that on like your year five, like quota <laughs> for the week, your spelling list. Um, but that is, you know, the the belief that although the bread and wine physically remain the same, it is transformed beyond human comprehension into the body, blood, and soul, and divinity. Um, and that's Jesus. a distinct Catholic Roman, um, Roman Catholic, um, yeah. when we're talking about yeah transubstantiation, it's actually celebrated uh, in, in the festival of, of Corpus Christi. Um, again, there's a lot of kind of you know words here that might sound really bizarre. So, love to invite you if you want to continue this conversation. Um, yeah, get in on the podcast, kind of comments and messages, and send some questions through. It's actually um, fun fact if I can jump in, please. It's actually. Because I know that sounds weird, right? But the Roman Catholics are actually really, really good philosophers. They're incredible. So if you become a priest in the Roman Catholic Church, you might not know this, but you actually have to do four years, you have to do an undergraduate degree in philosophy and then do your theology. I didn't know that. <clears throat> yeah. So a lot of a lot of the medi- great medieval thinkers that we have are actually Roman Catholics, they're philosophers. Wow. But, so this idea of transubstantiation, despite the fact we look at it and it might seem archaic or barbaric or like that just seems weird, it's actually quite sophisticated Aristotelian metaphysics. So Aristotle, one of the great Aristotle, Plato, so- Socrates, or Socrates, 
Um, and I have to I have to rack my brain. I don't know if I've got this right. Um, so someone can correct me if I've got it wrong. But Aristotle talked about this idea that there's two things. There's form and there's matter. And that when form and matter intersect, something can hold the same form, but the matter can change. So what the um, Roman Catholics believe is that the form is the bread and the wine. But when, you know, um, but when you come to communion, the matter changes. So the matter would be the, it would become the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, but the form bread and wine stays the same. So you have the appearance, but the matter changes. I know that's like, yeah, Mm. I just wanted to say, that's good to say that more so that it's it's actually quite sophisticated metaphysics. Right. When you think about it. Yeah. And give clarity even to that question again of the, what was the question? Sorry. Is this a miracle transformation from wine and bread to body, to body and blood? So we're coming this, from this question at a non-Catholic viewpoint. Well, to give kind of the perspective from, I guess, I don't know, for me, like a, a kind of a Lutheran perspective or even in beyond being, um, you know, as a Lutheran denomination and Lutheran church. Because um, as we walk through kind of communion, um, I guess the, the view interpretation, however you like to, whatever you like to call it, like we kind of see it or or for me personally um you know it it points to um this something that we're able to participate in an actual meal uh, that's been prepared right and when we take the wafer and we eat it and when we drink uh from the wine um it's not just doing so in remembrance which again this is uniquely like lutheran it's actually recognizing that jesus is present um in this moment um and even if we're breaking down kind of this idea of communion, this is a kind of, um, what would you call it? Like a scenario or like a hypothetical to consider. Like um, if you think about communion in this stage like this, like if someone says to you, like, I love you and you believe them, that's great. But if they say, I love you and they put their arms around you and they give you a big hug mm-hmm. um, and they actually embrace you, um, you get the truth of what they're saying in a different and more powerful way. Um, and a hug is an outward sign of the love that they have on the inside. So when we participate in communion, again, this is just like beyond perspective and I'll point back to Chris here to kind of fill in any gaps too. Um, but it's actually saying in this moment when we're participating in this meal that Jesus is present. It's not just pointing back to something that happened or a reminder, um, but it's significant because Jesus is present in this mm-hmm. moment. No, I think, yeah, I think you nailed it. Um, for us, it's, it's, and it's, it's well, it's, it's just taking Jesus on his word. So I should clarify, we don't believe that we're eating the body and blood. We, we, unlike the, we just believe it is, it is bread and it is wine. All that we would say is that, you know, when you look at the, the gospel accounts that Jesus seems, Jesus says, I'm present here. Mm. And so our response is to go, well, we're, we're drinking bread, uh, drinking bread. We're eating bread and drinking wine. Yep. I mean, if we put it in the blender, maybe we could drink that. <laughs> yeah. um, Two birds, one stone, possibly. But we don't. We don't know. Um, we don't know how Jesus is present. We just trust that He is present, and that in that meal, something something powerful happens. Yeah. So, so the again, it's I just a big trusting and clarify that we're not. Um, the Catholic view of communion is very legitimate, right? Like it's not. We're not discounting it, but that's just coming from our perspective to say what well, we think communion is. Um, but that's what we think and I'm sure you can go on your own journey as well and, and, and do your own research because it's a fascinating thing um, but well answered great question you. really good question yeah. to wrap up this first bonus episode as I mentioned there is two of these oh, Chris's Chris, hair 
Chris's hair. Are we talking about Chris's hair? No, but no, just me. Okay, very well. So my hairdresser is never in doubt. Never in doubt. John Strong, Bald Hills hair design. John Strong. <laughs> oh, and wow. a plug. How good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sponsored lucky. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris, this is a huge question. Okay. Again, um, huge, I'm sure, in the kind of like weight of it, but also just lengthy. <laughs> so I'm good. it's going to take me a while to read it, and uh, I'll try and get through it in one go. It might take me a little bit, and I'm not the best reader, so it'll just, just bear with me. If you need anything clarified, let me know, Chris. Okay. But a listener asked, how do you discuss the need for Jesus when it looks like someone doesn't need him? Not that someone would say they're perfect, but wouldn't get the spiritual side of falling short and therefore the need for forgiveness. They live good lives, demonstrate many of the fruits of the spirit, not troubled by desperate situations, seem to have all their needs met without awareness of God being a part of it. Seemingly float along, get through daily struggles of life without huge questions and doubts, and while aware they are blessed with good lives, would not attribute that to God. Therefore, see no need for him. Mm. I wonder if we could just break that question down into like one line so it's uh, can just clarify that for the listeners. Yeah. Well, I the, the thing that I took that I felt like it boiled down to is like seeing the need for God. There's this person, they've got this friend, and they want them to kind of experience Jesus or follow Jesus but this person for whatever reason and they've listed quite a few which I think is great gives a lot of context just doesn't really see the need for God right which is like a totally legitimate 100% situation someone they've got a good career bit of money in the bank a nice wife or a husband a nice family like yep they're going a holiday every every year to Europe like things are good they don't they don't anymore. Sorry. Oh, they too. Tasmania. Boyd. <laughs> Mount Isa. Mount Isa. is great. Um, but, you know, like things are... I, I hear this person saying things are pretty good in their life. Yeah. There's no need for God. There's no like outward yearning for something else. It's just kind of chill. Yeah. I hear this person pretty much saying like, how do I help this person see their need for God? Yeah. Um, when they can't seem to see it. And I get that. So what I wanted to do is I, I guess I wanted to give the reality and then something practical that this person can do. Um, the reality is, is that Christianity is exploding um, in the world and in regions of the world um, that experience huge levels of oppression. But it's, stag- it's stagnating currently in areas of the world where there's the most wealth. So like one example is that before 1949 in China, there was there was about 4 million Christians. Yet today, so just about 70 years later, there's around 67 million yeah. Christians. Wow. Like yeah. it's, it's the underground church is going off. It's like, it's going gangbusters. And this is in a country that experienced, you know, huge, huge communism. Um, you know, like to the point that they're segregated at some points where they can and can't move within the country. Um, now, this often means they see the need for God. You know, because they recognize that there's so little in the world that they can control. Mm-hmm. And so they're forced to ask some of those bigger questions like that Riley talked about in the first question, you know, origin, purpose, meaning, all that stuff. Um, whereas in the West um, and in areas where we have wealth, um, we don't have to ask those questions as much because, I mean, like we can have nice jobs, we can have cars, we can have houses, mm-hmm. and we could always say, oh, I'd like a little bit more, I'd like a little bit more. But the reality is... Um, it can almost feel like we're our own gods. We're pretty independent. Yeah. We live very, like, we could live very much on our own and, and do very well that way, hey? Yep. Um, and so for me, I would say that here's the practical thing. Um, the need for God is still there, but it just manifests in different ways. Um, you know, so 
the, in our world, we, we don't tend to ask the bigger questions until we face something that shows us loss, you know, like, like tragedy or the loss of a family member or the loss of a friend or the loss of a, a child or something like that. And so the question that I would get this person to ask or, or maybe listen to is, um, what questions is your friend asking? Because everyone's asking questions when it comes to life. Um, Is your friend asking questions about like, how do I progress my career? How do I save more money? How do I have a better relationship with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Like, you know, how do I stop feeling so isolated? How do I stop allowing comments of people to affect me? Like, and take some time to listen um, to the questions your friend's asking. Then once you've kind of figured out, oh, these are the questions I think they're asking. This is one of the questions. um, What I would do is either share a piece of content with them that, will help them answer those questions or invite them to a series that will help them answer those questions. Then your invitation is not about like, hey, you should meet Jesus. But your question is like, hey, or your invitation is more around like, hey, I heard you were wrestling with this and this is a tension. I think I've got something helpful that can help you navigate that tension. And I'm not saying that, what I'm about to say, I'm not assuming that this this listener has... um, is assuming this about people. So I'm just going to, but I'm just, this is more of a blanket statement because mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. sometimes Christians, um, we treat people like projects and we're like, oh, if I can just, you know, get this person saved, that's my goal, that's my project. Mm. But the reality is that Jesus, like, Jesus never calls us to treat people as projects. He says, hey, our goal is to love people, love people, and then let me do the rest. And so I think a part of loving people is understanding really well the questions that they're struggling with, what questions they're asking, and then walking alongside them as we journey with them to help them get the answers to those questions. And then I think that once they begin to answer those questions, we can show them, hey, Jesus has an, actually has an answer to some of those questions. Hmm. And and Jesus has a way of addressing some of those things. Then people begin to trust Jesus more and more and more and more and more. And so I think um, I think that would be a way is to help, help them see that Jesus has an answer for the questions they're actually asking first. Hmm. Wow. Brilliant. We made it to the end of a, the first bonus episode. <laughs> bonus episode. <laughs> <laughs> we so everyone only, does on bonus episodes, don't they? That yeah, only that happens. Does. Oh, the air horn. The air horn. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it went pretty well. We only talked about Carly Minogue once. Um, that's a yeah, like, yeah, that's KPI crazy. indicator. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well done. Well, I hope that, that the listeners feel like their questions are answered. Um, again, we don't have the answers. Like, we don't, we don't claim to kind of be able to exactly answer them but um we're really glad and stoked that we could at least sit down and and help you walk through those mm-hmm. so i uh, thank you for asking those if your question got answered um that's that's awesome we're so glad that we could we could answer that for you um but again if you still need if you still got questions if you're still wondering about these things please feel free to reach out um keep engaging with our stuff as well and hopefully we can address some of this stuff in the upcoming series and whatnot i think that's it what a great bonus app. We'll see you guys next week for another bonus episode. Wait, what? More? Two. Ooh. Two bonus Even episodes. Even better questions to get going. I was going to say, there's a bunch of people who are thinking they didn't answer my question. Yep. It's coming in the next episode. Can I give you a sneak peek of one of the questions that we're going to launch with next go, week? Go, go. We're starting with not talking about Riley's hairdresser or barber. Oh. We're talking with the question, we're starting with the question, how can I talk to God? Will he talk back? Excellent. That'll be a great one for Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you for listening and we will see you next week for, well, the next Beyond the Message podcast, but also the next bonus episode. Thank you for tuning in and we will see you soon. I'm so excited. Bye.